When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I had this eclectic love for country music and for music in, in general. And for as long as I can remember, it, it's been a part of my life. I started playing the piano when I was little. I was in band and choir all through high school. I mentioned those funerals that I went to. I sang at every single one of them. And it's interesting because at some point in time, I, I thought I was going to be a singer. I thought I was going to be an artist. And that realization, it was actually my dad's passing that I completely shut music out of my life for about 15 years. I quit writing. I quit playing the piano. I would listen to music, but I wanted no part in creating it. And it wasn't until I started healing from my dad's death that I actually went and picked up another piano and started playing again and started to let that back into my life. It is my grounding, happy place. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train, but I'm sure he will come up, as he often does. Uh, Amber Furman is here. She is a writer. She is a teacher. She is a podcaster. And she is someone that has made me laugh already three times in our pre-recording discussion. I think this is going to be a fun one. Amber, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. And making people laugh is my goal in life. So I'm glad I could do that. Yeah, I I agree. In fact, there was a thing going around multiple years ago. I think it was Oprah that said, what are some of your truths? What are things that you know to be true? And like I said, you can't really enjoy a movie at the theater without a soft drink of popcorn. And you can't make someone um, 
get out of a bad mood, but you still have to try. Were yeah, two of 100%. my core beliefs. Yeah. And I love a good challenge. So yeah. when I find somebody that is struggling to enjoy their day, or as I like to say, really committed to their bad day, my goal in life is to make them smile. And I have done it with blackjack dealers. I've done it with waiters that I grew up in the service industry. I know how much it sucks to have to deal with people that don't like their life and are portraying that onto you. And so my number one goal in life is to make people laugh whenever I can. So my son was a waiter in East Texas when he was going to college. And he said that when he would go to the table and go, hi, I'm Chris, I'm your server. Thanks for being here. No, and, if the, going. and if the guy said, sweet tea, he knew no tip. Like I right away. I used to tell people, <laughs> I, I used to tell people I'm when I would go to a table and I'd be like, hi, my name is Amber. It's nice to meet you. How are you doing? And they would say their drink. And I'd be like, yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for asking. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And he just was like, if they said that he knew there would be no tip. He just like, you just can count on it. My other controversial thing, and I say this with trying not to be mean spirited, but there is a 50% chance that if someone in their voicemail ends it with have a blessed day, they are <laughs> going to be a pain in the ass to work with. <laughs> what about when they call you to sell you something and then you don't buy their stuff and they ask if they can pray for you? Where does that fall? <laughs> oh, I don't know. My favorite thing, and I get mad everything this happens, when I call a customer service team, and that's what I do for a living. I, I have been over 30 years working in a contact center mostly inbound customer service, technical support. My current gig is roadside assistance for the RV industry. So I God understand that a call center, you have QA rules and you have scripts you have to follow. And when I'll call and try to, and there's a problem, they can't resolve my problem. Sometimes not through any choice of their own, but their script says, is there anything else I could do for you? Yes, you could solve my problem. Yeah, and I go, no, I realize you need to say that, but the correct thing to say is, I'm sorry I couldn't fix help you with this, but while I have you on their line, is there anything else I can try to help for you? Yeah. I said, I know it's just a little difference, but you saying, is there anything else I can do for it, immediately brings me back. You didn't help me to begin with. Yeah. You anything just else? Yeah, Let's start no. with the reason I called. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Amber, tell us about yourself. Oh my gosh. A little bit about me. I grew up in a super small town in Idaho. I jokingly, jokingly, but also seriously tell people that I didn't know that it wasn't normal to graduate high school with the same people that you started kindergarten with until I moved to Vegas and I started meeting people that had no idea who their classmates were going to be every single year. And I bring that up because it really formed the way that I saw the world. Community became very important to me. Family became very important to me. There's more people that live in my apartment complex in Vegas than live in my entire town in Idaho. So I wanted to be successful and I wanted to leave Idaho. And the only way that I really knew how to do that was to uh, make a six-figure income. And I grew up in the 80s. And in the 80s, what were we told? If you want to make a six-figure income, you get to be a doctor or you get to be a lawyer. Those are the two things. I failed biology four times, so I don't think they were going to ever let me in medical school. A lawyer it became. 
So I went to law school, graduated law school at the top of my class, did really well, probably less because of my academic accomplishments or ability and more because of my desire to run from the trauma in my life that I didn't want to deal with. Became an attorney for the same reason. I've been practicing law in Vegas for the last 12 years and recently, about three years ago, started doing sales mindset, leadership and communication trainings for business owners and entrepreneurs to help them really get the impact that they want to make in the world out into the world. So that's the Cliff Notes version, and I'll let you dig into any parts that you want to. The first thing I thought, Amber, is I am the opposite side of you. My dad was in the Army. I once counted that I went through 12 schools from kindergarten to eighth grade. Wow. So I was... When I started, he grad, he finally retired. My mom and dad got a divorce when I was a sophomore in college. But when I started as a freshman in high school, that was the first time I had went to the same school four years in a row. Wow. And I, I had no, I couldn't understand someone talking about, oh yeah, I had a crush on you in the third grade. Because I barely remember anyone I went to school with. And I do think that it took a lot of years for me to start making friends because I think very early it was ingrained to me, if you make a friend, you're going to leave them or they're going to leave you. So I very quickly became, and I, to this day, I'm, I am a a vivid reader. I always have a book. I'm always, I have switched to Kindles, though I have about a dozen books around me right now. Um, And because books don't leave you, books are always there. That's an interesting, that's an interesting realization that, that books don't leave you and they're always there. I think that's a lot of how I feel about music, to be honest with you. Yeah. And it's really interesting that you said that, your opinion was that people, if you made a friend, they were going to leave because that's how I felt as well, but for completely different reasons. I started losing people in my life at the age of eight. My first relationship with suicide was when I was seven or eight-ish and my cousin committed suicide. I have two people in my family that have committed suicide. My dad died in a car accident when I was 18 or a work-related accident that involved vehicles in the freeway. I went to 10 funerals between the ages of eight and 18. And somewhere along the way, I also learned that if you build relationships, people are going to leave you. And so I grew up in this weird place where community and family was really important to me and connection was really important to me, but showing that I didn't need anybody was also really important to me. And so it was this constant push and shove of, I want to be there for you. And it's okay for me to be here and support you, but I can't let you know that I want you in my life because that's weakness. And when you leave me, then I need to be able to be okay. So it's okay for you to need me, but it's not okay for me to need you. And it's really hard to build true relationships when you, because all people want in life is to be needed and wanted. And when you're unwilling to tell them that you want and need them in your life, it's really hard to build true connection. So I, it's interesting that you and I ended up in similar places with completely different backgrounds. 
Yeah, it's it's in a lot of ways the same destination, but a different journey. You talked about how much music was a constant to you. I always like to go to the beginning. So you're there in Idaho growing up, mm -hmm. small town. What kind of music did your family listen to? Oh, it was such a spread. I can remember my grandpa, who was the one that always brought the guitar to the campfires. He was the Johnny Cash 90s or not 90s country, the old yep. like 70s country. Yep. I can, I have vivid memories of me and grandma and grandpa driving in the dirt roads in Idaho and I'm blasting at the top of my lungs like You Are My Sunshine and all of the other songs from that era. And then you would go to my mom and my dad who were, my mom was a country lover. My dad was your Eagles and your Beatles. And, and then I grew up just loving country music. And so we, I had this eclectic love for country music and for music in, in general. And for as long as I can remember, it, it's been a part of my life. I started playing the piano when I was little. I was in band and choir all through high school. I mentioned those funerals that I went to. I sang it every single one of them. And it's interesting because at some point in time, I, I thought I was going to be a singer. I thought I was going to be an artist. And that realization it was actually my dad's passing that I completely shut music out of my life for about 15 years I quit writing I quit playing the piano I would listen to music but I wanted no part in creating it and it wasn't until I started healing from my dad's death that I actually went and picked up another piano and started playing again and started to let that back into my life it is my grounding happy place I, I will send clips of music to people. And I always tell my friends, if you get songs from me, just know that's my love language. That's how I communicate sure. with you is by lyrics. Do you think that because your father loved music so much that it was another way to shield yourself from loss by not no. attaching to that emotional music? No, I don't think it was that because honestly, my I have more of a musical relationship with my mom than I did. My dad's relationship with me was books. He was my reading partner. I used to, we would eat even as young as, if I go home now to my hometown in Idaho, I'm known as still 20, 30, 40 years later, 30 years later, I'm known as the kid that was writing book reports on John Grisham books in the fourth grade. Okay. I would read a book. My dad would read a book. We would trade. We would talk about it. That's how I grew up with him. I think that the connection to me between happiness and music is why I shut it down. The last poem I ever wrote was written on my dad's headstone. I wrote it the day he died. My mom engraved it on my dad's headstone and I never wrote again. And then when I started healing, that willingness to be creative popped back up and the understanding that I deserved to let the things that made me happy back into my life. I think that was probably the connection was music and its relationship to love, happiness and growth and groundedness that I didn't know that I still deserved. What led you to seek out healing? <laughs> my mental breakdown. <laughs> yeah, no, I had reached, I said that I went to law school and graduated at the top of my class and I did. And law school was easy for me. Law school was easy because putting in the work made sense because 
I had created this model of the world where when I made a six-figure income and had this good law degree and I was respected in my industry, that all of the trauma and the pain that I had felt wasn't going to matter anymore. That's where the happiness was going to kick in. And it was after I had achieved that height in my legal career, it was my first six-figure year in 2015. And then in 2016, I had my first panic attack and my first anxiety attack. And I didn't know how to function in a world where a six-figure income, a law degree, and respect in my profession didn't make me feel better. And the only thing that I knew, that's the first time that I was willing to acknowledge that I had a problem. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. There is a not very well-known song of Bruce Springsteen for non-fans called Better Days. And it's from the, he had fired the E Street Band and he put out some albums like in the early 90s. And the song starts, my soul checked out missing as I sat listening to the hours and minutes ticking away. Yeah, just sitting around waiting for my life to begin while it was all just slipping away. I'm tired of waiting for tomorrow to come, for that train to come roaring round the bend. I've got a new set of clothes, a pretty red rose, a woman I can call my friend. These are better days. Yeah. And I think that is exactly what you were talking about. I talk about this 
that I think too many people, and this would be my mini TED talk if I was going to do a TED talk, I would <laughs> use the lyrics that when I get that raise, then I will be happy. Mm -hmm. When I get the kids out of diapers, then I'm going to enjoy being a parent. When I get my degree, then I'm going to enjoy. And it's, you have to enjoy the journey. 2000, over six years ago, I had colon cancer. I'm fine now. I always like to throw that in there. But even during all the chemo, I spent a year where I was unemployed. I would listen to better days and I would remind myself that these are still the better days. This is a journey that I'm going through. And it, yes, it's okay to be happy and to make goals, but you've got to enjoy that journey because these are the better days. Yeah. I talk about this often and I actually talk about it in my book that the most dangerous thing that we can do as humans is tie our definition of happiness to an external result. Yeah. Because one of two things happens. We either spend our entire life chasing it and we never take the time to be grateful for what it is we've accomplished. Or what happened to me happens is we hit that external result and nothing changes. And all of a sudden, we wonder what we've worked so hard for. What have we sacrificed so hard for? I just did a TikTok video today talking about the fact that I never wanted children and a completely different topic. And I remember when I was going through this healing journey, being afraid to heal because I was afraid that if I healed whatever trauma I'd had in my past that I would then want children and I would be regretful of the fact that I focused so much on my career trying to be better. And that didn't happen. I, I didn't want children at the end of where I am now. And also I started to figure out where some of my trauma responses and not wanting kids came from at the same time. Yeah. On your note, uh, on your comment, um, my version of that is um, a really good song by um, Laura and Elena called Getting Good. Okay. It came out in 2020 and it goes through all of those things. Once I fall in love, then I'll be happy. And it goes through all the, I'll be happy. Yeah. But the tagline of the chorus is, I'm thinking once I learn to grow right where I'm planted, maybe that's when life starts getting good. And yeah. I just love it so much. I will check that song out. Absolutely. Because I love that. The I was thinking as you were talking that story, the often when, what is it? The Milo Angelo quote about when I knew better, I did better. Right. Yeah. The other thought I think is that too often because we're focused we, we we beat ourselves up. I one of a a life changing moment was me at a Weight Watchers meeting. I've been mm. someone who struggled with my weight my whole life, and so I was at a Weight Watchers meeting, and the le leader said, "We we set ourselves up for failure." So she goes, "Let me give you an example. You want a piece of cake." You eat the cake, and then you're mad at yourself because you ate the cake. Mm -hmm. Or you don't eat the cake, and you're mad and pissed off that you didn't get to have the cake. She goes, I suggest if you want the cake, eat it. Enjoy it. Savor it. Enjoy the experience of the cake, and then get back on the program. Or yeah. don't eat the cake. 
and be proud of yourself that you didn't eat the cake and you stayed on the program and you celebrate that success. She goes, there is no right answer. They are both the right answer. The problem is, though, we do two negative incomes. We eat the cake and then we beat ourselves up emotionally. And I said, how often do we do that? Do we make what some might consider a bad choice and then beat ourselves up instead of, okay, I, I, I knew what I knew. Now then, now I know more. I'm going to do different. Or yeah. one of the things, my wife and I have been married since 84. And I think one of the keys to our marriage, despite the reality of we still like each other, <laughs> is that it is against the rule to say, to second guess ourselves. You can't say, Amber, I really don't think, now that I think, I knew we shouldn't hired another partner in the law firm, right? I knew that was going to be a problem. No, the time to say that was before we made that decision, right? The time well, yeah. to say, yeah, right? Yeah, and I think that what's so important is that people don't know because if you yeah. knew then you wouldn't have done it and it's yeah. so funny that you bring this up because this i just went through this okay where in in 2019 i started my coaching business and i started my coaching business because covid had happened um courts were shutting down and i decided that i wanted number one to make an income and courts were shutting down. Right. And number two, there were so many people who had been in this hamster wheel of life that had just stopped running. And now they were starting to realize what they had missed. And they were begging for somebody to be that outside voice that could help them figure out what success meant to them. And it was the perfect opportunity for me to talk about this danger of tying your happiness to this external success. Right. Along those lines, I thought, what am I going to do with my law firm? And my coach and I sat and talked about it. And I said, part of me really sees this like massive law firm with multiple attorneys and growing that to a multi-million dollar business and then bringing in a partner and having them take over it. And so we started to go down that path and I hired an attorney and started to train her. And after about eight months, it became clear that it wasn't going to be possible to work out the way that I wanted it to be because I no longer wanted to be in the legal industry. I no longer wanted to be in the legal business. And I was growing this law firm with the intention of having somebody else take over it with me stepping back. It never works to grow a business with the intention of you not being a part of it again. If you're going to be a partner in it, you got to have a role in it. And so I made the decision then to close the law firm, which we're in the process of doing now. And my coach and I were talking about it. And she says, do you regret trying to grow the law firm? And I said, no, why would I regret that? I never would have known that it's not what I wanted if I didn't try to do it. Because if yeah. I knew that it wasn't what I wanted, then I would have said that back then. It's like that. I, I feel like when people say, I knew that hiring a partner was a bad idea. I feel like what they're saying is I should have known that hiring a partner was a bad idea. Yeah. Why should you have known that? Why do you think that you should have known that when you had yeah. no point of reference for knowing that? So I actually tell my clients, I'm going to buy them bibs that say I should have all over myself today. And then they can <laughs> decide 
whether or not they want to spend their life focusing on what they should have known or what their employees should know or what their spouse should understand or whether they want to start looking at the world the way that it is and start communicating with people in it as it is, not how they feel it should be. So Amber, I'm going to get to music again, but you said something in in our pre-recording talk, we had discussed this a little bit. So I'd love to expand a little bit. I shared with you that as someone who is a blueberry in a very strawberry state, I am very frustrated at times that the anger against people who are different, the people who themselves were descendant of people who immigrated this company country are now against immigrants, people who are against people who have a different lifestyle, different sexual orientation. And Brad Meltzer, one of my favorite writers, mentioned that we can't even agree on the questions. We can't even agree on the facts. And you had said that was one of the reasons why you were possibly wanting to change your role. Share with me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm an immigration attorney, so we'll just leave it at that, that it's been politics aside from this comment, practicing immigration during the Trump administration took 15 years off of my career. And And it has nothing to do with the politics of that administration and everything to do with the indecisiveness of it. The, I would call government attorneys and ask them what their position would be. And nobody could tell me because nobody knew what was going on from day to day. And the other question I watched, John Oliver had done a segment on immigration and they talked about, everyone says we should do it the right way. And he laid out all the so ways. show me the right way. Yeah, exactly. They showed me how we are underfunded, no true processes. No, there, there is no, like, okay, if someone's, I'm going to be overly simplified, right? If someone's declaring political asylum, there should be a very quick way to determine, is this legitimate or not? And okay, yeah. and if you determine it's not, whether we agree with it or not, okay, that's the ruling. We have someone, hopefully, that's fair-minded. If you don't mind <laughs> it, guys, we're gonna we won't stay on politics very long. We're gonna get back to music, but just for a few minutes, if you could, Amber, I'd love to hear because I think yeah. that's interesting. Forget the politics. Just I want to know what the rules are. Yeah, let me put it to you this way: I actually just opened an approval letter today for one of my favorite clients. I cried when I opened it. She's been my client since 2015. We filed her application in 2016. Her husband tried to kill her and she testified against him. She was the victim of a crime. You heard me say we filed it in 2016 and I got the approval letter today, right? Yeah, and just for context, because podcasts are eternal, we're recording this the day after the World Series was won by the Texas Rangers, by the way, November 2nd, 2023. That is six years ago. Six years ago. We filed it six years ago when we just got the approval letter. So here's, so I'm going to break this down into two different opinions and conversations. I'll tell you the immigration side of what I think, and I'll tell you the political side of what I think. Immigration side of what I think, I think we need to pick our battles. I think that... For of nobody's fault, 
it was somebody's fault, but it's nobody's fault that's still here today. We didn't enforce immigration laws for the last 40 years. Okay. And we have people in the United States who are non-criminal, who have built families here, who pay their taxes every year, who are getting deported. It's not what politics wants people to know. Under the new administration, it's less so because they've reinstated things that will allow us to close immigration cases that we didn't have before. But I'm also a criminal defense attorney. And do you know how frustrating it is to have a immigrant father of United States citizen children who's paid his taxes for the last 30 years, that there are no options for him to become a United States citizen or lawful permanent resident because of the way that the law is currently written and have him get deported while at the same time have a United States citizen client that harms somebody that gets to just go on with their life. And there's nothing different about those two people except for the fact that one was born here and one wasn't. And if anybody tells me that just because they're immigrants, they shouldn't be allowed to stay here, I just want to trade them. Can we just do a swap, like a Uno reverse? Yeah. So for me, it became incredibly frustrating to watch people get deported that should have been able to stay and people be able to stay that... I wished that I could have driven across the border myself. My only point in saying that is we have to pick our battles. People used to ask me what I thought about the wall. And I would say, build the damn wall. I don't care, but figure out what you're going to do about the millions of immigrants that have families here that have no path to residency. So the most frustrating thing I hear from my Republican family is, we'll just tell them to fill out the forms. I will. You tell me which ones to fill out because the law prohibits them from doing it. So that's the immigration side of it. The overall communication side of it is I agree with what you said previously. And this goes into what I talk about when it comes to sales communication leadership. This is human behavior. We are raised in a box that we live in. And that box, our brain is formed based upon our experiences between the ages of zero and eight. Unless we decide that we're going to expand our perception or something happens that changes the way that we see the world, you and I, this is why you can line 10 people up, show them the same event, and you will get 10 different answers of what happened because we all filter information differently. Until we are willing to acknowledge that you see the world differently than I do, and Eric sees the different things than I see. And somebody from Mexico might know the world differently than I know it. We will never be able to communicate. So as long as we want to stand on our soapboxes and say, this is the truth, this is my truth, so it has to be your truth, we're going to continue to fight. I tell my people that I work with that if you want to sell your product or service to somebody, you're never going to do it by convincing themselves or by trying to convince them that their b belief that they don't need help is wrong. You have to be willing to step into their model of the world, acknowledge the way that they see the world is a possibility, and then step back and wonder how could that be true and what else could be true and how can I communicate with that? As a communicator, it is never the listener's job 
to step into our model of the world to understand what it is we're saying. It is always the communicator's job to step into the listener's model of the world to communicate properly. We have a phrase in NLP that says there's no bad listening, only bad communication. So if we want to start having better relationships across the board, then we have to start communicating better. And in order to do that, we have to acknowledge that the world might be not be the way we think it is. It might not be the way I think it is. I've been proven wrong a million times in my life, and I'm sure there's a million more coming. The only way we get better is to acknowledge that we don't know shit. Yeah. Amber, I love that because what I often say is that, and this frustrates me, when someone doesn't acknowledge that my experience as a, I am currently a 64-year-old white guy that has lived in Texas since 84, 86. My experience is different than someone who has lived on the West Coast or the East Coast that are African-American or someone else, right? that someone who's lived in the deep rural South all their life, right? When I went back to my high school reunion, there were people that have stood that right out of high school, got a job at the plant, stayed there their whole lives. They've now retired and they have a very different mindset than someone from me. The other thing that I, I echo is for the longest time, I could not stand consultants. Mm-hmm. Right. And this and in I what said, context? So here's the experience, right? I'm working in a business environment. Okay. A consultant comes in and says, So tell me what your two or top three pain points are. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I, we're really fighting with attrition. And I feel like my agents, I need to get a better way for my agents to get up to speed faster. And he says, so what I hear you saying is your biggest problem is your systems don't talk to each other. No, that's the solution you're selling. Mm -hmm. So that's why you want me to say that's my number one problem. But no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. I, I might acknowledge you that our systems don't talk to each other, but that's like on the eighth point of my problems. And so what I find And I find it actually refreshing when I deal with a, and I also make the joke, a sales engineer can make a sales call without a salesperson, but a salesperson should never make a call without a sales engineer. (laughs) Yeah. This is the difference between a coach and a consultant. And I talk to people about this often because a lot of people don't understand the difference. And I had somebody call me one day and say, I really need a business coach. And I said, what do you need a business coach for? What do you want to accomplish? And they said, I need SOPs written. I said, I'd rather poke myself in the eye with a dirty needle than write your SOPs. Sounds awful. Call a consultant. That's not what I want. You want somebody to come in and tear apart your business from top to bottom. Now, there's a difference between a consultant and a salesperson, right? Right. So when that person comes in and they have this product that they're selling, they're not a consultant, they're a salesperson. And they need to be seen for what they are. I never tell my clients what to do. 
It's not my job to tell them what to do. It's my job as a coach to ask questions, to trigger in their mind what they think the right answer is. Now, I've been a podcaster for three and a half years. I've written a book. I do a lot of things well. So if my client says, I know that I need to send an email letter out or a newsletter out, and I'm just not sure how to do it, then I'll walk them through. These are some systems that might work. This is what I use. This is what you might be able to use. But that's a different conversation than saying you need to go in and do steps one, two, three, four, and yeah. five in that order with these products and services. It is. So I get what you're saying completely. And going back to what we were talking about before, you cannot solve a problem until you understand that problem. Yes. And you cannot understand a problem until you can acknowledge that the way that the person who has the problem sees the problem is tied to their understanding of the world. So in order for us to be problem solvers, we have to be willing and able to acknowledge that we live in a world where anything's possible. And if we live in a world where anything's possible, then your model of the world is exactly the way that you see it. We do an incredible exercise. It's one of my favorite exercises in my training program. And it's a communication exercise. And it's the first time that the people that come through my training programs realize they don't know jack shit about communication because we'll have somebody start with a topic. So we might start with music and then we'll have somebody else say, okay, I want you to go more broad or I want you to go more specific. And so I, as the communicator, if they said go more broad, I might say something like sound and the person that I'm talking to might think that sound is a component of music. So if they say that I went down, then I have to step in and say, what could their world look like where sound is more specific than music? When in my world, sound is less specific than music. It requires us to stop and say, how does this person think? That's the answer they would have given us. And that is the level of thought process that is required in true communication. My boss sent out a couple of months ago to try to prove a point where he asked five or six questions. I want you to put a numerical value on sometime. What mm. volume is that? What is the numerical value for always? Often. He added all these vague terms and then he got us all together and said, okay, to some of you always means 60%. While others go always is 100%. Yeah. Right? So when you go, we're always happening, the person who thinks it's 60%, you're here because I'm immediately like, no, this doesn't always happen. Yeah. It may happen sometimes. And so, yeah, I think that's great. And this is also why music's so powerful, right? Because, and this is also why music is also less specific. If you listen to the words of songs, they never actually say anything. Yeah, they are all the more the sweet spot of a good song is to give enough specificity to allow the listener to insert themselves into that story and tie it to their life while giving while leaving it global enough for their mind to take it wherever it needs to go. And this is why you and I could listen to the same song and we could say that song is the most impactful song in my life. And then I would ask you why it's impactful. And I would get a completely different answer from you than you would get from me. The same thing happens when I talk to songwriters. I go to these songwriter shows where they say what it was they were going through and what the song meant when they wrote it. And it is very rarely what I thought when I heard it. 
I'll also go through my playlist and I'll hear songs that I saved and listened to five, 10 years ago. And I have to step back and say, what was going on in my life where I thought, where I resonated with that song and how far have I come that I no longer resonate with that song or 10 years ago, that song meant this to me and I loved it. 10 years later, I love it now, but I love it because it means this to me. It's why music is the universal language that ties us all together because there's no definitions to it except for the definition we give it. And nobody asks us to share that. We just love the same thing. And that is why I end every podcast with the Mary question. And we're, we aren't there yet. We're not at the end of the podcast, but yeah, that exact reason. I find that as I grow and change the music that I listen to changes with me. Bruce's mm. songs are different from me and all that heaven that allow is off tunnel of love. And it's all about, I want, I, Hey guy, I've got this girl that it's this wonderful love song, but there's a phrase in one of the toward the end said, now some may want to die young man, young and gloriously get it straight now, Mr. Hey buddy, that ain't me. Cause mm. I got something on my mind. Yeah. That sets me straight and walking proud. And I want all the time, all that heaven will allow. When I had colon cancer, that was a song. I don't want to buy young and gloriously. I want all the time that heaven will allow is a, mm -hmm. so valued. Our, you've already mentioned one song, but our, and one of the things you shared is it was hard for you to narrow down only even one or two artists. You tend to be more eclectic mm -hmm. in songs. Like my latest, Jason Isbell is my latest musical obsession. I've just discovered Jason's music and I'm loving it. I obviously do a Bruce Springsteen podcast. Are there lyrics or songs or albums that you go to on a routine basis, Amber, to cheer you up, to help you mourn, to help you cope? Yeah, there are. And before I answer that question, there's a Rob Thomas song that came out a couple of years ago called One Less Day from Dying Young. Have you heard that? No. This really resonates with me because my dad was 42 when he died. I just turned 41 in October. Mm. And when I was 19, my dad was ancient when he died. 42 was ancient. And now I have so much life left to live if I only had a year left on my trajectory, like he did, which I don't delete and distort that I can't imagine how young he felt. And so this song talks about like, you can be upset at your day. You can be upset at whatever goes on, but every day that you wake up is one less day that you have from dying young. And yeah. that really resonates with me. So I wanted to share that with you. I appreciate um, that but real quick. And I want to hear, but I just to tell you the arrogance of use, I remember reading an Ellery queen book. I went through a spell right out when I was starting college that I discovered Ellery Queen. And so I was reading all these mysteries and things. And in the book, Ellery got married in the 40s, in his 40s. And I remember at 19 thinking, why bother getting married in your 40s? Your life's over. And now that I'm yeah. 64, I'm like, boy, what an arrogant SOB I was. What a stupid little punk. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So I'll tell you that I have a lot of playlists on my on my 
phone. One of them is my training playlist. Okay. You know, we do so much with people's unconscious mind when we do training that I need to know. I can't just turn on a random, like all my like songs might go from classical to Eminem to like, yeah. you might get gangster rap or you might get Beethoven. I never yeah. know what I'm going to get when it's on shuffle. And when I know that I've opened up a loop in somebody's mind, the last thing that I need playing is something that I don't expect. So I have a right. playlist where I know every word of every song that's on that playlist so that I know that no matter what plays, it's going to be positive in nature and it's going to be supportive of our training environment. When I'm struggling with anything, that is a playlist that I often go to. When I'm nostalgic, I have a, there's a band from Idaho. What part of Texas are you in? I'm in Dallas. Okay. There's a band from Idaho that's based in Austin now called Reckless Kelly. Okay. And Reckless Kelly is my favorite band. Okay. They're my favorite band, though, less because of their music. Their music is decent. I love their music. Yeah. I've seen them probably 17, 18 times in concert. But it's because of the Idaho connection, right? Yeah. The They're from my town. They have songs related to my life when I was young. I can hear my youth in their songs. And so I love what they stand for. So I'll turn them on a lot. And then I, for probably the last three or four years, have been obsessed with the Greatest Showman soundtrack. And so the Greatest Showman soundtrack, I spend a lot of time with. And then just, it's all over the place. I'll go through phases where all I want to hear is upbeat country hit songs because it reminds me of home. And then I'll go through phases where I need like the connection. So it's definitely, I'm definitely a a myriad of different answers for that. Okay. Yeah. I just saw there, they're going to be in Dallas. I saw they're going to be in Dallas in April. So I just saw, yeah. Okay. I'll have to check some of their music out. So it's very Texas country. It's very red dirt country. Very nice. I, I like that. Talk to me a little bit about the book. Why did you decide to write a book and mm. tell us about it and tell us where we can get it? Yeah, I think that writing a book was something that was on my list of things I wanted to do for a long time. But who the hell am I to write a book? For so long, I kept minimizing who I was. Like, you've got these mass influencers that are writing these books, and you've got the Oprah's of the world and the Matthew McConaughey's of the world that release books. Like, who the hell's going to read mine? And I had to get over that mindset that I didn't have anything to share. And the podcast helped with that. I think that I told you I didn't want kids. My career is my legacy. My impact that I get to make on the world is my legacy. I also felt like my story is not unique and it is unique at the same time. I felt like the story of somebody who had always been perceived as successful and still felt unsuccessful and navigated that needed to be shared because there's so many people out there that have letters after their name. I was on a dating profile about four years ago and I was scrolling through and the question on dating profiles is always, what are you doing with your life now? And I will never forget this answer. Somebody put as their answer, my life now is spent recovering after collecting letters after my name. 
And that resonated with me. The yeah. ESQ after my name, the MD that goes after so many people's names, the pharmacist, the MBA, the doctor that goes before people's names. We spend so much time getting these accolades that we forget to be human. And I felt like that process needed to be shared with people. And then what happens is the more structure we give ourselves in our lives, the more we accomplish and the more of a pedestal we place ourselves on in relationship to our success, the less permission we feel like we have to change. And if there's anybody out there in the world who is of the belief that they need permission to make a change in their life to be happy, I wanted to be able to write this book that would give them that permission. And that's where the book came from. And the name? It's called Break Your Bullshit Box. I love that. Me too. What do you, what is, do you think some of the bullshit that we do for <laughs> ourselves? What do you think we, what are one of the reasons we do have this bullshit? And you've shared a little bit, right? Yeah. But, so yeah, talk to me about that. I'll tell you where it came from. And then I'll give you a little bit of, uh, let me explain where the name came from. And I think that okay. might answer your question. And then okay. if not, we can dig dig deeper. Okay. I was starting to talk on stages and I would talk about my relationship with trauma. And I yeah. would talk about this compartmentalization box that I carried around. I was the queen of compartmentalization. So okay. I would take all the things that I didn't want to deal with and I would put them in this compartmentalization box. And I carried that around with me. And I had created this idea of the world where that six figure income, that law degree was going to take away that compartmentalization box. I was never going to have to open it. And I was never going to have to deal with what was inside. And when that didn't happen, it became like a Pandora's box. It exploded and I had to deal with everything all at once. Yeah. On the other side, as I kept talking about this, I kept talking about the compartmentalization box, the identities that we create for ourselves, the need to have courage to overcome those, the need to have a plan in designing your life. And for about a year and a half, two years, I stood on stages and I talked about this. And then one day it hit me that all of that's great, but if we don't address the things that we tell ourselves in our head, then the plan means nothing. The courage means nothing if we buy into the excuses that we have in our head. And that's when I realized that in addition to our compartmentalization box that we always keep closed, yeah, we have this other box in our head, our bullshit box, and that one we always keep open so that whenever right. we need an excuse to hold ourselves back, we can just reach in, grab the excuse of the day, and then we can allow ourselves to stay small. I can't sell. I can't cold call. I am not good at dating. I'm an introvert, so I can't network. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not whatever it is that we tell ourselves. There's never anything I'm going to be able to do about my weight. I'm not an athlete. I can't work out. Those are all things I've told myself along my life. Mm -hmm. And so the premise of the book is that compartmentalization box is full of all of the things that we think bring us shame and hurt and trauma. And we think that if anybody knows about those, they're going to send us off to a desert island and nobody's ever going to love us. Yeah. The bullshit box is full of all of our excuses and we leave that open all the time. Those boxes need to be switched because the stuff that's in that compartmentalization box is what makes you human. It's what makes you relatable. 
It's what makes people connect with who you are because they can see their pain and their own struggle in your story. And then that bullshit box needs to be sealed shut where those excuses go to die because there's no place for them in success. And that was the premise of the book is anytime you start to give a reason for why you don't have everything it is you want in every area of your life, that reason goes in the bullshit box because you can either have reasons or results, but you can't have both. Mm -hmm. So get rid of the reasons, lock them in this box that you cannot open until you are ready to break it and deal with those excuses. And then open your compartmentalization box and let the world see you for who it is that you are as a person and all the beautiful things that you have to offer the world because of the experiences that you think make you less than. And that's what the book's about. That's amazing. I, I can't wait to check it out. That that sounds like so much fun. God, I feel like we're already an hour and we just feel like we just got started. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Yeah, I've had so much fun. What's next for you? Obviously, you're you're transitioning away from the law firm. You uh, want to get, you're going to be doing more coaching. What else is for you? So I don't know that I'll ever completely walk away from the legal industry. There are parts of it that I love. Okay. I really want to work with attorneys to help them create boundaries and harmony between their work and their life. Work is not supposed to be the thing that prevents you from living your life. It's supposed to be the thing that supports it. And too often, high demand professions allow themselves to convince themselves that they can't live a life because they've got responsibility of other people's ability to stay in the United States or live or whatever it is. So I really want to work with attorneys to help them create that work-life balance. Because even though I don't want to practice anymore, we certainly need attorneys that do. And the more that they burn out, the less they want to practice. And then we're all in a worse state. I want to travel a ton. I want to be location independent. There's part of me that thinks that there's a move to Nashville in my future speaking and training. And all I've ever wanted to do is make an impact in the world and be successful. And the way that I see it is that every person that comes through my training, their life, they learn things that allows them to improve their life. And as they improve their life, they improve the lives of every person that they touch. And so the more people that come through my trainings, the more I get to make an impact on the world in ways that I will never truly understand because they go out and they touch people that I'll never meet. So for me, it's probably another book, definitely more music, some speaking engagements, traveling and enjoying my life to the absolute best of my ability while I'm still able to. Is... Are there musicians that are on your list to see live that you haven't seen live? Yeah, there's a lot of them, but here's what I'll say. I'm not a huge fan of big concerts. I there There's some I've seen. I paid for floor seats to like Eric Church. I saw Garth Brooks and George Strait. Those are iconic that you don't sure. pass up the opportunity to see them. I love sitting in a room with a musician that is pouring their heart with their guitar and a stool on a stage. Yeah. To me, if I go to a, I'm seeing Andy Grammer tomorrow, which I'm really excited for. I love Andy Grammer. If I go to a concert and I have to watch that musician on a big screen, then I might as well have just watched the video on YouTube. Sure. 
So for me, there are musicians that are on my list to see, but they're not names that a lot of people have heard of. And they are playing in rooms of 30, 50, 100, 400 people where it's intimate and personal and human because that's what I love about music. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I obviously I love Bruce and I'm going to see him, but there is something, the intimacy we were lucky enough a few years ago to get a, we were able to go in the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville and watch, you know, yeah. And just Port David's Pub here in Dallas is one of our favorite places to go see just small singer songwriters and bands. And just, you feel like they're in your living room talking to you and sharing with you. Absolutely. The last time I was in Nashville, I delayed my flight because two of my friends were playing at the Bluebird. And so Uh, they were like, if you delay your flight, come hang out with us. And that was my first experience at the Bluebird. But that singer songwriter. So I found the songwriter world when I moved to Vegas in 2012 and I was missing home. And I ended up walking into this show, having no idea what it was. And it was my first realization that as much as I had loved music my entire life, I didn't realize that the people that were singing my favorite songs didn't write them. And then when I meet these songwriters and they make a living writing songs that other people stand on stage and sing, and that the heartfelt reality of what was created was from somebody that I didn't even know existed. I fell in love with the songwriter and you'll relate to this because you do a podcast. I was talking to one of my songwriter friends about three months ago. And I said, I fell in love with songwriting the most when I started my podcast, because it was the first time that I understood what it was like to put your heart and soul into something and then put it out into the world and let people judge you because of it. And hope that they liked it. And that's what songwriters do and musicians do every single day is they say, this is unapologetically me and I hope you like it. And if you don't, that's cool because it's unapologetically me and we need more of that in the world. Yeah. I, I love people that share of themselves though. I do think often, and I loved this comment, Jason Isbell, as I said, is my current obsession. He says, when you're a songwriter, everyone thinks that every song is autobiographical. And yeah. sometimes, nope, I'm just telling a story. I'm, I'm just, just telling here. a story. Yeah, I'm just telling a story. I did One not have... My... Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was going to say, no, I didn't have a friend who was dying of cancer. Elephant isn't a personal experience. Yeah. <laughs> One of... There's a songwriter from Idaho. His name is McComb, Jeremy McComb. Yeah. And he used to be, he started as Larry the Cable Guy's, Larry the Cable Guy's road manager. Okay. And so every live show that I see of his is a mixture of comedy and music because that's where yeah. he grew up. And he always likes to start his show by saying, as a songwriter, I'm going to stand on stage. I'm going to tell you some truths, some half truths, and some lies. And your job as the listener is try to figure out which ones are true and which ones are total bullshit. Yeah. And I have a really good friend, Sarah Hickman, and she talks about that. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yes. 100%. It doesn't have to be true. And this is what's interesting really quickly. Part of what we do in my trainings is we deal with emotion work, your relationship with anger, sadness, fear, hurt, and guilt, and how that rules your life. And I remember the first time that I was working with anybody in a training capacity with this. 
And I was getting my certifications. My trainer was there who became my mentor. And I had asked the person that I was working with when they had first experienced anger. And they told me that it was like seven lifetimes ago on a pirate ship. And I called bullshit. I'm an attorney. I need facts. I need circumstances. And I remember going to my trainer going, this is total bullshit. There's no way. And she says, according to whom? And I said, according to physics. Yeah. Like, it's not possible. I said, is this real? And she says, does it matter? And I said, yes, it matters. And she says, if she thinks it's real, then it is dictating everything that she does in her life. So it is not your job to tell her what's real and what's not. And I feel this way about music. It's not my job to tell anybody what music means. It's not my job to tell anybody what's real. And if it's not real, if the story's not real, but it triggers something real in you, then is it any less real? Yeah, there is. Bruce did a a storytellers, VH1 storytellers. And he was in, it's a beautiful hour and a half of him talking about songs he wrote. And he says, was this foremost in my mind when I was writing it? Maybe. Was I thinking this specific things? Perhaps. Was I feeling it? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's always the attorney answer, right? Maybe. My favorite example of that is actually Matchbox. No, it might not be Matchbox 20. I can't remember. Yeah. It's You Can't Stay Here. And anyways, everybody thinks that it's a bar song, right? It's about a bar closing. And then they did a VH1 interview and it's about giving birth. It's about a baby leaving the womb. And it's just crazy to me how I love the way that people just, hear things and they think different things. And that's why I said it's the universal language. I tell this story often on the podcast when this subject comes up. I remember reading Isaac Asimov's autobiography and he talked about that he was in a Q&A and someone raised their hand and said, Dr. Asimov, that's not what the story's about. And he said, I wrote the story I think I know what the story's about. And the reader said, just because you wrote it, what makes you think you know what it's about? And <laughs> Isaac stopped and he said, you're right. And he said, I know what I meant to say, but what my reader gets out of that story is totally different and just as valid. Yeah. And yeah. Unless you think Puff the Magic Dragon is about drugs and then you're just wrong because that's just <laughs> evil. Amber, this was a blast. Was uh, so much fun. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to have you where to reach you and do all that. And, but final thoughts before we get to the Mary question. Or is there anything I should have asked you that I haven't? No, I feel like we have gone from one rabbit hole to another to all of the amazing, beautiful I'm a big believer that conversation is supposed to be exactly what it is. And this was great. Thanks. I appreciate that. All right. I end every podcast with a Mary question. And what that is, Jay Armstrong is now retired, but he is was a high school English teacher. And he would give his class the lyrics to Bruce Springsteen's Thunder Road. And they would study it as if it was a poem. They would look at the lyrics. They would talk about the themes Bruce explored, the use of language. And then at the end of the day, he would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? Amber, that is your question. 
do you think Mary gets in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Are you going to let me off with the attorney question of it depends? Yeah, I, absolutely. <laughs> that is a valid answer. Yes. So first of all, we don't know. Exactly. I love to think that there are two different alternate endings that run at the same time where one where she did and one where she didn't and those two endings never get to actually meet each other or exist at the same time but both lead to beautiful places so it depends okay and depends on what it depends on (laughs) it i think it depends on how risk averse mary is at the time that she's asked to get in the car yes i think that's a fair answer so here is a couple of my favorite answers and I will one often people say no because the line you ain't a beauty but hey you're all right they go no she he called her ugly she's not getting in the car (laughs) but I had a guy who says it depends I'm like okay what do you mean he says if it's the E Street band playing it with the full instruments, she absolutely gets in the car because the song is triumphant at the end. Mm-hmm. It is just it is filled with joy and you've got the saxophone solo. If Bruce is doing it solo, she absolutely doesn't get in the car because he ends the song more subdued. And I went, that is a great effing answer. That is a great answer. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Big- that is yeah. a great answer. And I love the question. I love that you end that because again, it's just a highlight to how different we all perceive things. Yeah. And I do. I think it's a great example. And for the longest time, 60% yes, about 40% say no. Lately, it's gotten more 50-50. It's about. And then a couple of people pull a different. I had Warren Zane, who is the writer of Delivery from Nowhere. It's a book on Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska. And he said... It's all in his mind. He said, Mm -hmm. that crush I had in high school, I asked her out a hundred times in my mind, but I never did it in reality. I said, this singer is thinking he's going to talk to Mary, but he never has the courage to do it. What an interesting perspective. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's so it's just it's a little it's just a perfect way to end the podcast. And every once in a while I get someone I didn't listen to the song. Okay, I'll give you an incomplete. But after the conversation, often they will call back and go, "Okay, I now have an answer. Can we record just five minutes? Me giving you the answer. So I love that. All right, Amber, if someone wants to find you, find your book, listen to the podcast, how can they? Yeah, the easiest way is going to be to go to successdevelopmentsolutions.com. There's a, a media page there that has all the podcast links on it. My, I have a Facebook group called Success Center where we talk about all things success in all candid, candid transparency. We'll go with that word since apparently I can't talk tonight. In all transparency, I am rebranding that. It's going to be the Break Your Bullshit Box community, but it'll still be there. So come hang out with really supportive people who just want to see other people win. I was listening to a TikTok video today. It tends to be the way that I allow myself to unwind the most. And I heard a creator say that the moment that his life got exponentially better was the moment that he wanted other people to win and meant it. And I feel like that's what we get to create in the 
break your bullshit box community is an environment where nobody loses and everybody wins. And there isn't a threshold of who's winning more than the other person. It's just a supportive place to make sure that everybody wins. I love that. There is one of Bruce's early comments was if everyone doesn't win, then no one wins. Yeah. And And we talked about politics a little bit earlier today. And I think that's the perfect way to tie that back into that is the big, one of the biggest problems is we think that in order for us to win, somebody else has to lose. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And uh, one of my best friends is, and someone's going to correct me. It's nobody wins unless everyone wins. So listeners, it's okay. He talks about, and I love this, that he wishes we could get back to, I want a safe border. You want a safe border. We disagree how to do it. Let's figure out a solution we both could live. But I want my children to be safe from gun tragedy. You want your children to be safe from gun tragedies. Let's figure out a way to do it. I want everyone to have health insurance. You want everyone to have health insurance. Let's figure out a way to do it. Yeah. And that's, there is, you're right though. It's, I, there there is, it is not necessarily a zero sum game. If we just would get back to, okay, let's figure this out. And compromise is not a bad word. No, it's not. Compromise is not a bad word. Yeah. All right. Any final thoughts? No, I think we're good. I had a blast. Thank you so much for spending time with me. I appreciate it. Amber, let's stay in touch anytime you need. If you need something, let me know. When the new book comes out, I definitely want you to come back to promote it. Listeners, go check out the website. Check out the Facebook page. Check out the book. And let's put our reasons, our excuses from chasing success in the bullshit box. Let's go make it happen. Thank you, Amber. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gags. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. 
You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, that listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.